So once we realize and start practicing gratitude and all the blessings we have in life and how thankful we are for each one, that is a great place because I cannot help but smile and be happy when I think about all the goodness in my life and I'm focusing on that instead of my external circumstances. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 52 of the podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. And if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed that we've had a bit of an unintentional theme come through during my interviews in February. Actually, three out of the four guests on the podcast this month are all making an impact on the issue of human trafficking. Now, human trafficking is a problem that is so gut-wrenching, so tragic, and, and really so much more pervasive than I think a lot of us realize. What I absolutely love about my guests this month is that each of them are approaching this issue from such a unique perspective and with such unique solutions. And my guest today, Shannon Keith, is absolutely no exception. Shannon is the founder and CEO of Sudara, a thriving B Corp and apparel brand that makes strikingly beautiful loungewear, mostly for women, but for men and children as well. Sudara's mission is rooted in job creation for women in India who are either at high risk or they're survivors of sex trafficking. More than a give back model, Sudara enables women to have freedom-filled choices for themselves and for their families. Shannon herself is a 2016 Bend Venture Conference Social Impact winner. She's a TEDx speaker and she was selected as a top 25 CEO World Venture finalist. I was so lit up by my conversation with Shannon and the impact that she is having for these women in India, giving them sustainable jobs that can really create a new life, you know, a new sense of hope for them and their families. I know you're going to love her as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Shannon Keith. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Dorothy. I'm really excited to be here. I would love to jump straight into you know, really where this whole journey began for you. And I, I know that in 2005, you took a trip to India that completely changed the course of your life. So could you set the stage for us? You know, what was happening in your life before that trip? Where were you? Yeah, most definitely. So back in 2005, gosh, this is a while ago. I feel like an old lady talking about like 14 years ago, <laughs> kind of a kind of a story. But I was married at the time without kids, living in Southern California with my husband. We got married in the year 2000, so I guess uh, you know we'd been married a few years. And I had a corporate career, and we were doing a lot of traveling. And some of that traveling included kind of humanitarian mission type trips here and there interspersed with just normal recreational trips as well, because we both have a passion for cultures and for travel and particularly for underserved populations of people, which a lot of times are poor, marginalized women and children. And so we had taken a trip uh, in 2004, fell in love with India and the country and that went back in 2005 uh, with a group from our church that was doing some 
a variety of things, including kind of helping with orphan care and HIV folks and widows um, and older people who had just kind of been discarded or didn't have family to take care of them. And because India doesn't have as vast of a safety net kind of social structure from the government as we do, these populations are oftentimes left to be cared for, either fending for themselves or or by um, kind of NGOs, which are non-governmental organizations, the equivalent of our nonprofits here in the U.S., Anyway, so that kind of sets the stage for why we were in India and, you know, the passion that I've always had, again, for the poor and marginalized and really people without opportunity. So it's not that they're less intelligent by any means. It's just they've lacked opportunities in their life. And kind of the the underserved and the underdog just has just been a passion of mine to give voice to. So anyway, long story short, we um, found ourselves dedicating a fresh water well, actually, that our family had funded for my in-laws, my husband's parents' 40th wedding anniversary. And it just happened to be matched with the NGO to a red light district. So we didn't know that, but basically we were working with the NGO and they would take applications for different communities that were in need. And then you sort of just get matched up, whether it's timing or whatever. And in my mind, it was really sort of a divine thing that happened because as the woman of the family on the trip, I was asked to share a few words at the well dedication in this red light area in the middle of the week during the day. So once we started finding out, oh, who is this group? Who is this community that we're paying for this you know, fresh water well? It became apparent, oh, this is a brothel community. And I was like, what does that mean? A brothel community? I've never heard that term. You know? You know, come to find out with India and the caste system and all of the various social injustices that were converging in this place, it was that these women were either born or sold into this situation, or maybe out of such desperation that they were homeless and the only way to put a roof over their head and their children was to join this community. And in such, they became basically like an indentured slave and had to sell their bodies for sex to keep a roof over their head and feed their children. So really a devastating, horrific uh, situation that I found myself in. And I was just compelled to do something, something small, just to be just a helping hand. And again, I philosophically only believe in charity for certain circumstances. It really is about teaching the person to fish, not giving them a fish, you know, that kind of adage. And so my, my thoughts were all rooted in job creation. If these women could do something else for work, then they wouldn't have to sell their bodies. But it wasn't that, oh, we should just give them money so they no longer have to work <laughs> kind of a thing, you know? So well, it's about sustainability, I think, in a big way. You know, you can't just put this Band-Aid over the problem and, and hope that it goes away. You know, you're really just solving a temporary pain versus creating jobs. I mean, that's more of a permanent, scalable solution. Absolutely. But back in 2005, that really wasn't the paradigm. So if you think about it, this is before there were any B Corps. This is before Tom Shoes. This was before anything like that. So really, the American way in so many instances has just been throwing money at problems and hoping they go away. I mean, if you look at like debt cancellation in Africa in the 80s, you know, like throwing billions of dollars didn't like solve those problems. And so I think now the really fun and interesting part of this decade and era that we're in now is we're learning from what didn't work in the past and let's not continue just to throw money and band-aids at problems, but let's get to like root systemic issues. What does that look like? We have a long way to go. We're clearly not there yet. We have so many social issues 
still looming over our heads. But the exciting part is the approach that you just talked about, the sustainability, things that are now sort of in our vernacular as norms um, were not there 14 years ago. (laughs) But in my heart, and I think in the heart of many people, um, those things are there. It just wasn't articulated. And so, yeah, the flash of inspiration was job creation for the ladies. So from a career standpoint, what were you doing before this? You know, were you, were you working in a different field? Yeah, I was in sales, like corporate sales. And so I'd always had a love for people and kind of, you know, I'm not shy. So there's kind of like a social sort of job fit my personality type a little more where I wanted to be around people and, and something different, not just sitting at a desk all day, which ironically now I'm kind of sitting at a desk most of the day. <laughs> but um, at the time, you know, I, I was in sales, so I was out and about a lot. And so I thought, hey, that's something I can bring to the table, a skill set. If these ladies can um, make something that I could sell, even just starting out to my friends and family and network back in the US, like that could be a way to start and just see if there's any kind of legs to this. So uh, yeah, in kind of a flash of what I call divine inspiration, it was like women's pajamas because those seemed to me like easy to sell. They weren't too tricky to make for them. The beautiful textiles of India were all around me because the women were all wearing those, the saris, which is beautiful traditional Indian dress. But I knew that American women weren't going to go for wearing saris. <laughs> so it was like, can I make something out of that fabric? And that's how it started. It really is serendipitous, you know, the way that this all worked out because, you know, that, that well, it could have gone to any community, you know, not, not necessarily the, the way that it worked out where you had your eyes open to this massive problem, this trauma these women were going through and you were able to make that connection. You know, obviously there's a long, you know, distance between having the idea and then actually being able to execute on that and create what you have with Sudara. So, you know, once you, you had this, flash of inspiration. You, you know, wanted to create something out of these beautiful textiles that people in the United States would wear. What did those first couple months look like as you were forming the idea and figuring out you know, how to actually pull this off? It was really fun, actually. And talk about serendipitous. I remember at the time, my husband and I were actually struggling with infertility. So we were able to do a lot of travel, whereas a lot of my girlfriends were starting to get pregnant and have babies. And I felt, remember feeling so sad and like I was getting ripped off by not being able to have that experience and so much wanting to be able to get pregnant and start a family. It was like an amazing distraction. And I always say this was our firstborn child, <laughs> really, because I was able to pour so much time and energy outside of my full-time job into, oh my gosh helping these ladies and researching. And suddenly my, you know, sorrow and self-pity turned into like, this is an amazing opportunity. And I actually, I think have some entrepreneurial chutzpah that I didn't realize because I really want to start this and get it going. And because I'm not pregnant and don't, you know, have little ones, I can travel back and forth to India. I can do all these things I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So it was really an amazing and an exciting time um, meeting with lots of people, getting girlfriends who'd been with me to India on board of, hey, what do you think? You know, what, what should we do here? And at the time it was, if you want to help people, you have to start a nonprofit because again, there weren't any context of social business 14 years ago. So then it was like, okay, so now we're like forming a board and, you know, with a couple of my girlfriends and then, okay, we need some older, wiser people. Let's recruit them. Who do we know? 
And it was really just a really exciting time of like, yeah, we want to use our voice and our privilege as women to help other women. And so it was really, really a fun and hard, <laughs> challenging, but in a fun sort of way time. So how did that evolve from, you know, originally, okay, we have to start a nonprofit to you ended up, you know, with this, you know, for-profit or this B corporation, where did that come into play? Yeah. Some of that was just, you know, the maturation of the space because B Corps uh, weren't around at the time. And, you know, in the last few years, they have been, I think like 39 or 40 states have already adopted the B Corp status. So for anyone who's not familiar with the term, could you just give us a brief overview? It's a benefit corporation and it is a designation by the IRS that puts uh, the benefit or the mission of what the company is trying to accomplish on par with profitability. So unfortunately, with all of this corporate greed and just shareholder you know, dominance, really, a lot of times uh, CEOs or leaders of companies that are trying to do good could actually be unseated if it was seen that they weren't maximizing corporate returns at the expense of doing some good. So this basically kind of gives a provision and really helps companies say, no, this is part of our mandate and either our shareholders or investors or whatever would agree that uh, what we're trying to do, whether it's environmental good or in Sudara's case, social good is on par with, uh, with profitability. And that's built right into our bylaws and the way that the organizations are structured. So a benefit corporation is what Sudara is. And then you also uh, sign up basically for a third-party certification process. And there are a few around that you have to, you can't just say we're doing good, right? You have to prove it. So there are all these metrics kind of around that. Anyway, so B, uh, B certification is part of it. So we're certified through B Labs, but there are other certified bodies out there. And it's exciting because certified benefit corporations are a growing movement. So even some large companies that were in existence prior have made the switch over. So companies like Patagonia and Ben and & Jerry's and others, um, Dannon Yogurt are now certified benefit corporations. I think a lot of companies that are large under Unilever. Yeah. So it's becoming quite an exciting movement. When did you quit your job? You know, take, take us to that, that story. Did you do that immediately? How did that work? No, not immediately because it really helped fund um, my travels. And thankfully, I was working for kind of a European-based company. So I had about almost six weeks paid vacation and sick leave combined. So I could take time off of work to go to India for 10 days or two weeks at a time as needed at like various points. And went there a couple of times even during that, you know, that first six months or a year post idea. And then to try and get to execution to your point, like, okay, here's an idea. And then now how do we sort of have a plan around that? And then work with partners who are mission aligned to make sure my idea actually had legs because just because I had the idea, maybe no one was interested in working with me or they thought it was a bad idea or whatever. So philosophically from the start, we've always been about collaboration. So we don't want to be sort of what, you know, some would say is like the big white savior complex going into these poor areas and showing them how it should be done. We definitely do not adhere or believe that that would ever be the case. And so right from the start, it was all about who are people, organizations already working with this population, underserved population of women and children? What are they doing? And would they be interested to collaborate? Is there overlap? And then could there be synergy to move forward? And so that was a lot of research um, on the internet, on the phone, just connecting here to find organizations over there. 
calling them up, setting up meetings, flying over to pitch them the idea. Are they interested? What would it look like? And then kind of going from there. So I was doing that all while having my corporate job, which kind of funded, you know, these travels and a lot of that. And then just a little bit later, my husband and I actually just wanted a change and a lifestyle change. And we moved up to Bend, Oregon. And that's when I quit my job. And then I was able, at that point then, I was able to get pregnant. And so now we were kind of on a different path as this has already started, but we had already hired a small staff for the nonprofit. And so there was like a program director and an admin person, and there were folks that were kind of getting it going. And I stayed on and continue to be on the board as the nonprofit kind of visionary volunteer board member as we had staff kind of on that side of things. And then fast forward a few more years, that was growing slowly but surely. You know, nonprofits are hard to grow. It's like getting a lot of funding and you have to do galas and you have to, you know, to kind of fund the operations. And then lo and behold, you know, Tom Shoes hits the market. And I was like, damn it, I knew we should have done this as a business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so in hindsight, oh man, but this was already in motion and now I'm at home and I had twins. So our, we like totally had our hands full and I took a hiatus off of my like paid career, but was still very involved as the, as again, a volunteer nonprofit board member. Fast forward where the kids were like, okay, they're getting old enough. They're getting into preschool and now in school. And so um, approached the board and said, hey, I really feel like we could do this as a business. Tom's has already proven that there's a conscientious consumer market out there we have a better story than just to give back because we're not just giving people a fish. We're really teaching them to fish. And so I feel like that would be really interesting and that there's an appetite in the market for companies like ours. And um, so we had to do a whole deal and I actually had to buy the business operations from the nonprofit at fair market value. And so we went through this whole legal process because I never wanted it that anyone would say I was somehow doing this from my own wealth acquisition or anything. It really was about doing it as a business to further the mission and to help more women. You know, not that making money is bad. Clearly we need it, but it, it was never a play for me to increase my personal wealth through this. And I haven't done that either. You know, monies are really invested back into the business. Yeah. So that happened. We made that decision in like 2014. It took a while, like legal papering, filing with the state attorney of California, all this stuff because nonprofits can't easily sell their assets to for-profit entities. So we had to prove it really was about preserving and growing the mission of the nonprofit. Anyway, that all happened in 2015. So the last like three or three and a half years have been, you know, Sudara Inc., which we rebranded from International Princess Project, which was our nonprofit legacy, and still have that entity. And it is a 501c3 with a board and everything, just a traditional nonprofit that's doing amazing work. Because women, philosophically, yes, they need a job, but this sexually traumatized population of women and children also need a lot of wraparound services that a job alone cannot provide. And that's where the nonprofit comes in and could um, help with their entire ecosystem so that they're supported and on a path to health that is not an easy path. You know, it's a hard road. And so there's a really cool kind of hybrid organization that we've developed where our nonprofit and our for-profit really work hand in hand with one singular vision and mission. Yeah. And when you, you mentioned this fear that you know people were going to question your intentions. And it's a big thing that we talk about here on the show, just around money mindset and the fact that a lot of people listen to the show, you know, they they want financial freedom. You know, they, they want that for themselves and, you know, recognizing that 
that is not something that makes you a bad person. That's not something that, you know, makes you selfish. That makes you human. You know, we all want more for ourselves, but we all also have this fundamental human need for contribution and to, to really want to make an impact. And so, you know, I think that what your story illustrates so beautifully is that, you know, there doesn't have to be this, you know, either you make money or you give back. You can marry these things in a way that is going to make each of the haves flourish so much larger than they possibly could, you know, on their own. And so I think there's beauty in that story there. And and also if you know, if I can circle back to you're getting pregnant with twins at that point in your journey. I mean, what an amazing gift that you had these fertility struggles that at the time I'm sure just seemed so unfair, you know, so challenging. And then here you are, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you can see how it really just all worked out. I mean, I cannot be anything but so grateful for, for my life, even for the challenges, which at the time seemed like a challenge, but to your point in hindsight, looking back, you know, had I been pregnant, I never would have gone to India at that time, you know? And so everything really does happen for a reason. And I'm a person of faith. And so I have a deep spiritual faith and really believe, yeah, that it was a divine appointment and calling in my life that has played out in a really fun and amazing adventurous way. Like it hasn't always been easy. I think anything worth doing in life is a challenge, including relationships. You know, I've been married for 18 amazing years to the love of my life and we have three kids, but wow, it's been a lot of hard work and it's a real challenge, you know, blending families and personalities and I would do it all over again every single day. I would choose Jeff, but it is hard work to have a healthy marriage and to have healthy relationships and to have, you know, a healthy perspective on money as you were talking about. I mean, that takes, I think, discipline as well, because as you said, you know, all of those things and financial independence is important and self-sustainability is important. That's what we're trying to teach and help provide opportunities for the women. We, we need to model that ourselves And yet we do live in a culture that can be so narcissistic and me focused. And so sometimes I just got to ask, okay, like, well, when is enough? Like, yes, we want more, but is there this unsatiable appetite where more is never enough, you know? And so what does that look like? And so building in disciplines into our life, I think is really important. I mean, we, we need to have discipline in eating. We need to have discipline in in moderation and drinking, you know, all of those things are good in exercise, but anything taken to excess, including hoarding money is not healthy. (laughs) Right. And so no one talks about that because our culture sees money as like a God basically, but I think it's really important. And I think I'm really excited to hear about your own personal business and how you have had the discipline of saying, yeah, I want to give back a certain amount. It's really important. And I do that on a regular basis basis. It's not just willy-nilly. It's really built into your business model, which is fantastic. If more businesses did this, I think a lot of the issues that we have going on today, we would start moving the needle on. So you're an inspiration to all of us. Thank you. I I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I mean, I think it's it's easy to get caught up in these, you know, kind of arbitrary goals of, you know, I want, I want to make ten million dollars. Okay, well, why do you want to make ten million dollars? You know, what do you, what do you want to do with that? And you know, if you do have this dream lifestyle, you know, then shoot for that. But understand, you know, what you actually want, because at the end of the day, money is just a tool. You know, it's not inherently good or bad. It's not. It's a means to an end. 
And, you know, if you can actually dig deep and figure out, you know, okay, what are the things that you want in your life? How much money do you need to be able to sustain that lifestyle? And, you know, what is important to you on a human level in terms of helping people and giving back and, and really knowing that your life has had impact and that it hasn't just been self-serving. You know, I think that in a certain sense, we can have it all if we make that our intention. And so, you know, figuring out, you know, how can I create a business that has giving built into the very fabric of its model? And, you know, what can we do that's going to help people in a way that is sustainable? As you've been talking about, creating jobs for women in, in this way, you know, is clearly a powerful way to do that. So, you know, I'm curious, Shannon, what were some of the biggest challenges in growing this team remotely in India and and managing this business when you know your employees are not only coming out of these circumstances that are obviously so traumatic and and they do have all of these needs outside of just a job but then also from a business perspective growing and managing a team that is so far away there have been challenges, <laughs> again, all along the path. But I think in any business there are, right? But if you add, contextualize it now into international business, and then to your point with highly sexualized, traumatized individuals, there have to be concessions, right? So for instance, our partners, it's really working with our partners. Like I said, again, they're the heroes on the ground who know the culture, know the language. They're not going to necessarily fire a woman for being late to work or something, you know, because it's like, okay, she has triggers and, and how do we create a work environment that doesn't set these women's triggers off? And how do we understand that many of them have, you know, HIV that has been untreated. And so there's like sicknesses that go along. And so maybe they're going to have more sick days than the average employee. There's just like all of these various things that some people could see as challenges and inconvenience, but on the flip side of it, it's the human element. It's like, that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Like these women and children have had a really hard lot in life and no choosing of their own. And so they are going to have a lot more challenges and baggage. And so how do we make concessions for that? You know, they're not going to be quote as efficient as a workforce factory in China. They're just not. Some of the things that we take for granted um, like fine motor skills that we learn how to hold a pencil, how to cut with scissors. We learn those in preschool or in kindergarten, that really early childhood development. Some of these women have never been in a classroom. They literally do not know how to use a pair of scissors. I mean, I was there at a visit in India and there was a woman who could not cut with scissors and she was a grown woman um, because she hadn't learned the fine motor skills of doing so. Now, she's intelligent, she's smart, but she was never given that opportunity to develop that skill set. So are we going to fire her? No, we're going to like work with that, right? Of course not. The, the reason we exist is to give her dignified work and confidence and opportunities that she'd been lacking. And so working with our partners to build environments and curriculums for the ladies is really important and it's not cost efficient, right? So we have to build those things into our financial models, which as a nonprofit, doing a program is one thing. But if you're looking at like business metrics, it's another thing. Your cost of goods go up. All sorts of things happen. And then just aside from that, in an international context, we had some issues with some untrustworthy people that said, yeah, we're partners and this and that. And so just because you're trying to do something good 
I had some moments where I just not blindly trusted because I, I feel like I have a pretty good women's intuition and gut instinct. But when you're not there and across the ocean, you know, we had some folks that were not trustworthy. Um, some outside vendors that, you know, stole some of our fabric to the tune of like $60,000, which is a lot of fabric and raw material, not to mention the time now of a gap of having to get that reproduced and scrambling around. And so just kind of one thing after another, but yet it all, we just say, okay, with the lens of the reason that we're going to persevere is because our mission is worth it. And at the end of the day, these are big inconveniences, there are financial hits, there's some relational damage when you thought you could trust someone and they betrayed you, that's hurtful on a human level. But at the end of the day, we're looking at our mission. And so we can go through a lot of mud (laughs) and a lot of challenges because our mission is worth it. It's so true. And I think that especially in this day and age, now that people are becoming more familiar with this concept of a a B corporation or, you know, for purpose business, there are a lot of different words that people use. You know, if we as consumers can recognize that if you were born here in the United States, regardless of your circumstances, you, you were born on third base. You know, we have been given so much opportunity, so much privilege. You know, we are able to use that opportunity to vote with our dollars every single day. And I think that it's really just becoming more and more of a trend where consumers want to know that the businesses that they are giving their money to are doing things to to help the world and, and are having an impact beyond just profit alone. And so I really just am so inspired by the the business that you've created, Shannon, the the work that you're doing for you know, these women in India who you know, have not been given the privilege that we have here. So could you share with us just a little bit about you know, what Sudara actually makes, what people can find on your website and um, really the different product lines that these women are creating for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I really love the fact that you talked about voting with your dollars. And as consumers, we need to be educated. I want to highlight that point because it's kind of my soapbox, actually. (laughs) And I I won't belabor it. But even when hearkening back to kind of our our previous thought trend about it's fine to want a certain lifestyle and to be, you know, wealthy enough to stay in that lifestyle and whatnot. And what I would challenge all the consumers out there is, yes, it's fine as long as that lifestyle isn't harming other people, right? So the ends don't justify the means. And I feel like that's the point that's often left out. Like, yes, I want this luxurious lifestyle. I want to go to all these places. I want to do all this stuff. And, I, and that's great. That's amazing. But you have to look at, okay, so when I stay at XYZ Hotel, are they paying their staff fairly? You know, so my lap of luxury vacation and unsaid destination. I'm having a wonderful time. Look at me. Isn't this fantastic? But how, how are the people there being treated? And are they being treated fairly? And you can adorn yourself with jewels and are they blood diamonds? <laughs> so you have to be thinking about all of these things, right? And it really is about supply chains and about fairness and about human dignity and making sure that we're not experiencing the life of luxury on the backs of slaves. It's the hard conversation that people don't want to talk about, but it's the elephant in the room that we need to talk about. And it really isn't okay if a business, in my opinion, even if they say, okay, we're going to give back 10% of our profits, but everywhere in the supply chain of that business, there's slaves and people getting screwed and bonded servants and all of this stuff. So giving back the measly 10% 
to pat yourself on the back when you've screwed people along the way doesn't count as doing good for the world. It just doesn't. <laughs> so I'm going to like pull out the, the smoke screen and all the mirrors and smoke and say, sorry, people, like that's not okay. And so it really is about supply chains. And so what we try and do, and, and ours, you know, isn't perfect. There isn't a perfect one out there because we chose to start with people first and we um, will continue to go down all the way down the chain, but we're not completely 100% vertically integrated. So we'll be very transparent about that. Meaning I don't know if how every piece of cotton was picked that are in our pants, right? So we start with like the cut and sew piece, like making sure that the labor of the garments is completely clean and transparent. And we know that folks are being paid well and fair and good working conditions and all of that. So there's that. And then we're starting to work really in making sure that our mills, where we get the fabrics and the dyes are up and up and they're eco standards. And then we'll start as we're able. Um, And the plan is to go further and further back down the supply chain to where, yes, the cottons are organic and being picked right and blah, blah, blah. So we're not completely there yet, but we're starting on that path and we're committed to it. And so back to your original question. Sorry <laughs> if I hijacked it. No, I love it. I love that you brought that up and, and thank you because one of the, one of the great benefits, uh, benefits of the B corporations, you can trust these businesses that are, are doing the right thing as opposed to just using corporate responsibility as really a sham to, you know, trick people into thinking that, that what they're buying is ethical. So I appreciate you making that point deeply. Yeah. And that is that third party, right? That has to come in and audit the businesses. So you can't just self-select as a B Corp. You have to kind of prove it. So that's why um, those of us that are doing it really believe in the movement and there's no financial gain. Like we don't get tax breaks or anything like that for it. It really is just saying like, to your point, you can trust this consumer confidence and employee confidence that they want to work for a place that they can trust as well. So with our product line, it's actually very simple and easy to love on purpose and very utilitarian, meaning we didn't want to get into the like fast fashion, trendy, it's in your closet one season, it's in the landfill the next, like inherently and philosophically, I don't believe in that model and the way that we currently cycle through things because it's not good for our planet. And so we have a line mostly of women's pajamas and loungewear. And so these pants started out as just pajama pants. And again, it was a utility product that women would wear every day. It wouldn't end up at the landfill. And if you think about your favorite jammies, you don't just throw them away. You might have them for five years. You might have them for 10 years. They become one of your most treasured pieces. You might sleep in them night after night and it becomes like your go-to, I love this, right? But a lot of times, sometimes they're ratty, like ratty sweats, ratty yoga pants. You know, it wasn't like they're, they can get, you know, funny looking. And so it was like, hey, what about something really beautiful and bright and these pretty colors? And so even if you're feeling sick and you have the flu, like you can throw these on and feel awesome. Or you can throw them on after work and go for a walk and then run to the store because then they became more lounge fast where we put pockets in them and they're a little bit more street friendly yeah, we just want products that women can love and adore knowing that they're helping other women. So they feel good and you're doing good and they're an accessible price point. And then because women are our primary demographic, we do have a small line of men's and children's. They're called punjamis, which is kind of a play on words. 
And so, you know, the whole family is covered. And even at Christmas, we just did with some of our scrap material, little dog scarfs, which are so cute. So now the whole family is covered in freedom. And you can put on your little dog a little scarf bandana to match your jammies. And when you go for a walk, it's super cute. You can throw up a picture on Instagram. So we really are a brand that is just easy to love and easy to wear and will include everyone. You know, we don't want to be a a brand that doesn't include part of the population. It's like all women own and wear pajamas. Whether they sleep in the buff at night, you got to put something on to go to the kitchen and get your coffee. Do these. (laughs) So yeah, that's, we're a very non-fussy, relaxed brand. And the prints you have are just so beautiful. You know, everything is, I'm just in love. So I'm going shopping as soon as we hang up this call. But Shannon, (laughs) thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. We are running out of time. So I'd like to move into the impact round. So this is where I'm going to ask you a few short questions. I'd love for you to, you know, just respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Go. All right, let's do it. So Who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? My grandmother. She was just, yeah, an amazing woman. She just died last year, but she really, I think, had a great relationship with money. She didn't grow up with a lot of it, but she uh, used it well and for the benefit for her family and for others. And so she just had a lasting impact as a woman about how to, yeah, how to make an impact with your finances. So then who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and really make an impact? My husband um, over the last 18 years. So he's been, you know, he's my best friend. He's been so supportive. You know, when I was wanting to spend our personal finances and invest in getting this endeavor off the ground 14 years ago when we were newly married and didn't have a ton of money, but that which we had, he was like, yeah, do it. Of course, this is important. Go for it. And fully supported my trips to India and would come with me. And yeah, it's been amazing. When you're having a bad day, Shannon, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Do you have any sort of you know, regular personal development practice? <laughs> I feel like I have a few. So it depends on what kind of funk and what caused the funk, right? I mean, I definitely have like I want to meet up with my husband and have a Manhattan (laughs) and and just kind of like be around our fire pit in our backyard and just kind of like not talk about anything and and just be present. Other times I just want to be with my kids. It's like, let's go get ice cream, go to the park and go for a walk with our dog and just really be around, I think, people in relationships that matter. If I need to be by myself, I get my Bible and I go into nature and just kind of have a time of prayer, go for a run. Um, to clear my head if I need solitude. So it depends on on where I'm at. But I have a lot of kind of rituals, if you will, <laughs> to help in that area. What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? It depends. I mean, I'm a Christian. And so I think the Bible is my go-to for sure. But I recognize not everyone shares that faith. Um, and so I wouldn't be like, hey, you're having a bad day, read this. And they're like, what? Are you so like far from where I'm at right now? Um, so another that I think is equally kind of important and a little more palatable for some is um, The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. So it's really fantastic because it hits on all the important things in life, but from two world leaders opposing, but yet very congruent um, faith perspectives. And even if someone is atheist or agnostic, I think they can learn from these men in their 80s who have lived long journeys of substance and a life well lived. 
Love that answer. I We haven't heard that on the show before. And I was fortunate enough to hear the Dalai Lama speak when I was in college. And, you know, it's just, that's really stuck with me ever since. And so I'm definitely gonna be checking that one out. Oh yeah, it's great. I have it on my bedside table right next to my Bible. It's awesome. Then Shannon, what is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? I would definitely say it is not an external endeavor. I think it it really is found within, not to be cliche, but you can take all of your miserable externalities and do away with those and still be unhappy, right? So it's not external forces that dictate happiness or joy. It really is a mindset and a practice that I think is rooted in gratitude. So once we realize and start practicing gratitude and all the blessings we have in life and how thankful we are for each one, that is a great place because I cannot help but smile and be happy when I think about all the goodness in my life. And I'm focusing on that instead of my external circumstances. Oh gosh. Well, I couldn't agree more and I couldn't think of a better way to end the show than that. Shannon, I really am just so inspired by the work that you're doing. And as you know, we do have the Do Well and Do Good Challenge here on the show. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the organizations that are nominated by our guests. Now, I know that you'll be nominating the Sudara Freedom Fund, the nonprofit arm of your business that does provide that support, those services to these women that you work with. So could you just share with us you know, where people can go to learn more, where they can donate, and then of course, you know, where people can go to connect with you and learn more? Yeah. So sudara.org, S-U-D-A-R-A.org is our website. And under About Us, there's a link kind of to our nonprofit. And so you can hear and read all about... There's some videos, um, there's some pictures, there's some infographics. We have our impact report. Um, that is there. And so you can read all about and you can donate right there through our website. We also, if you're interested in supporting our products, that's another great way to give back. We all have a lot of consumer donors, which is really exciting. So on the checkout cart on our um, e-commerce page, you can add things to your cart. And then as you're checking out, you can also add on a donation that's passed right through to the nonprofit. So we really... um, use all of our resources to help the women and children, again, in that healthy ecosystem on their journey and path to freedom. Unbelievable. That is just so, so great. I mean, the way that you are combining you know, these things together into a business that allows consumers that opportunity to make that impact is, is powerful. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show. It truly has been an honor to have you here. Thank you, Dorothy. It's been a blessing and an honor to be here. I'm super excited to make your acquaintance and to get to know uh, your audience and your show a little bit more. So I will be a future listener for sure. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before 
that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits too. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.